0: Are we better off with this new king? This is the Lifespring Family Audio Bible, and I'm coming to you from Riverside, California. Podcasting since 2004, I'm your OG Godcaster, Steve Webb. This is the daily podcast where we're reading through the entire Bible in a year. Today, we're going to read 1 Samuel 6 through 10, and I'm calling the episode, How's that working out for you? Let's get right to it. First Samuel chapter 6. After the sacred chest had been in Philistia for 7 months, the Philistines called in their priests and fortune tellers and asked, "What should we do with this sacred chest? Tell us how to send it back where it belongs. Don't send it back without a gift." The priests and fortune tellers answered, "Send along something to Israel's God to make up for taking the chest in the first place. Then you will be healed." and you will find out why the Lord was causing you so much trouble. What should we send? the Philistines asked. The priests and fortune-tellers answered, There are five Philistine rulers, and they all have the same disease that you have. So make five gold models of the sores and five gold models of the rats that are wiping out your crops. If you honor the God of Israel with this gift, maybe he will stop causing trouble for you and your gods and your crops. Don't be like the Egyptians and their king. They were stubborn, but when Israel's God was finished with them, they had to let Israel go. Get a new cart and two cows that have young calves that have never pulled a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take the calves back to their barn. Then put the chest on their cart. Put the gold rats and sores into a bag and put it on the cart next to the chest. Then send it on its way. Watch to see if the chest goes on up the road to the Israelite town of Beth Shemesh. If it goes back to its own country, you will know that it was the Lord who made us suffer so badly. But if the chest doesn't go back to its own country, then the Lord had nothing to do with the disease that hit us. It was simply bad luck. The Philistines followed their advice. They hitched up the two cows to the cart, but they kept their calves in a barn. Then they put the chest on the cart, along with the bag that had the gold rats and sores in it. The cows went straight up the road toward Beth Shemesh, mooing as they went. The Philistine rulers followed them until they got close to Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. When they looked up and saw the chest, they were so happy that they stopped working and started celebrating. The cows left the road and pulled the cart into a field that belonged to Joshua from Beth Shemesh, and they stopped beside a huge rock. Some men from the tribe of Levi were there, so they took the chest off the cart and placed it on the rock, and then they did the same thing with the bag of gold rats and sores. A few other people chopped up the cart and made a fire. They killed the cows and burned them as sacrifices to the Lord. After that, they offered more sacrifices. When the five rulers of the Philistines saw what had happened, they went back to Ekron that same day. That is how the Philistines sent gifts to the Lord to make up for taking the sacred chest. They sent five gold sores, one each for their towns of Ashdod, Gaza Ashkelon Gath and Ekron they also sent one gold rat for each walled town and for every village that the five philistine rulers controlled the huge stone where the levites set the chest is still there in joshua's field as a reminder of what happened some of the men of bethshemesh looked inside the sacred chest and the lord god killed 70 of them this made the people of bethshemesh very sad and they started saying no other god is like the lord Who can go near him and stay alive? We'll have to send the chest away from here, but where can we send it? They sent messengers to tell the people of Kiriath-Jerim, The Philistines have sent back the sacred chest. Why don't you take it and keep it there with you? 1 Samuel chapter 7 The people of Kiriath-Jerim got the chest and took it to Abinadab's house, which was on a hill in their town. They chose his son Eleazar to take care of it, and it stayed there for twenty years. During this time, everyone in Israel was very sad and begged the Lord for help. One day Samuel told all the people of Israel, If you really want to turn back to the Lord, then prove it. Get rid of your foreign idols, including the ones of the goddess Astarte. Turn to the Lord with all your heart and worship only Him. Then He will rescue you from the Philistines. The people got rid of their idols of Baal and Astarte and began worshiping only the Lord. Then Samuel said, Tell everyone in Israel to meet together at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. The Israelites met together at Mizpah with Samuel as their leader. They drew water from the well and poured it out as an offering to the Lord. On that same day they went without eating to show their sorrow, and they confessed they had been unfaithful to the Lord. When the Philistine rulers found out about the meeting at Mizpah, they sent an army there to attack the people of Israel. The Israelites were afraid when they heard what the Philistines were doing. Don't stop praying, they told Samuel. Ask the Lord our God to rescue us. Samuel begged the Lord to rescue Israel. Then he sacrificed a young lamb to the Lord. Samuel had not even finished offering the sacrifice when the Philistines started to attack. But the Lord answered his prayer and made thunder crash all around them. The Philistines panicked and ran away. The men of Israel left Mezpah and went after them as far as the hillside below Beth-kar killing every enemy soldier they caught. The Philistines were so badly beaten that it was quite a while before they attacked Israel again. After the battle, Samuel set up a monument between Mizpah and the rocky cliffs. He named it Help Monument to remind Israel how much the Lord had helped them. For as long as Samuel lived, the Lord helped Israel fight the Philistines. The Israelites were even able to recapture their towns and territory between Ekron and Gath. Israel was also at peace with the Amorites. Samuel was a leader in Israel all his life. Every year he would go around to the towns of Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, where he served as judge for the people. Then he would go back to his home in Ramah and do the same thing there. He also had an altar built for the Lord at Ramah. 1 Samuel chapter 8 Samuel had two sons. The older one was Joel, and the younger one was Abijah. When Samuel was getting old, he let them be leaders at Beersheba, but they were not like their father. They were dishonest and accepted bribes to give unfair decisions. One day the nation's leaders came to Samuel at Ramah and said, You are an old man. You set a good example for your sons, but they haven't followed it. Now we want a king to be our leader, just like all the other nations. Choose one for us. Samuel was upset to hear the leaders say they wanted a king. So he prayed about it. The Lord answered, Samuel, do everything they want you to do. I am really the one they rejected as their king. Ever since the day I rescued my people from Egypt, they have turned from me to worship idols. Now they're turning away from you. Do everything they ask, but warn them and tell them how a king will treat them. Samuel told the people who were asking for a king what the Lord had said. If you have a king, this is how he will treat you he will force your sons to join his army. Some of them will ride in his chariots, some will serve in the cavalry, and others will run ahead of his own chariot. Some of them will be officers in charge of a thousand soldiers, and others will be in charge of fifty. Still others will have to farm the king's land and harvest his crops, or make weapons and parts for his chariots. Your daughters will have to make perfume, or do his cooking and baking. The king will take your best fields, as well as your vineyards and olive orchards, and give them to his own officials. He will also take a tenth of your grain and grapes, and give it to his officers and officials. The king will take your slaves and your best young men, and your donkeys, and make them do his work. He will also take a tenth of your sheep and goats. You will become the king's slaves, and you will finally cry out for the Lord to save you from the king you wanted, but the Lord won't answer your prayers. The people would not listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want to be like other nations. We want a king to rule us and to lead us in battle. Samuel listened to them and then told the Lord exactly what they had said. Do what they want, the Lord answered. Give them a king. Samuel told the people to go back to their homes. First Samuel chapter 9 There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Makorath, the son of Aphaiah, a Benjaminite, a mighty man of power, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you, and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim, and through the land of Shelisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjaminites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zaph, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys, and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to the servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for to day he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people to day on the high place. As soon as you come into the city you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjaminite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit at the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, Set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Solomon that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you, the word of god first samuel chapter 10 then samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said is it not because the lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance when you have departed from me today you will find two men by rachel's tomb in the territory of benjamin at zelzah and they will say to you the donkeys which you went to look for have been found and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there, and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is, And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, And surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he had turned back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened, when all who knew him formally saw that he had indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? So he said, To look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all kingdoms, and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king! Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, and wrote it in a book, and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. In my comments today, beloved, I'm going to do something just a bit different. I'm going to play for you the commentary I wrote last year on 1 Samuel chapter 8. That commentary in itself was a bit different, and you'll hear what made it different in a minute or two as you listen. And then, after last year's commentary, I'll have some more to say. This commentary was written on September 6th, 2020, and six months before this, much of the world began the 15 days to slow the spread of COVID-19. Two months after it was written, the United States would have a presidential election. Let's listen. Today I'd like to talk to you about 1 Samuel chapter 8. In this chapter, we see once more that there is nothing new under the sun. God rescued the children of Israel out of Egypt, and God looked out for them, cared for them, and supplied their needs. He gave them the promised land, enabling them to defeat their enemies. But time and time and time again, they forsook God and began to worship the false gods of heathen nations. Each time He forgave them, and for a time they'd follow Him, but in the end they would forsake Him again. Now, in 1 Samuel, they put a different spin on things by saying that they no longer wanted a judge, a man chosen by God to whom they would be accountable. No, they wanted a king like the other nations had. But as God told Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Think about it. The people had a tremendous amount of freedom. They had land. They could do what they wanted to do, and as long as they followed God's laws, they would enjoy his blessings. But they fell for the lie that by giving up their freedom, they would have a better life. Samuel warned them. He told them what living under a king would be like. The king would take them into forced labor. He would take their land. He would take their property, conscript their sons into his army, and he would tax them, and he would take their daughters. But no, they wanted a king. Does any of this sound familiar? Is there a lie floating around right now? Free education, free health care, social justice, freedom from some perceived systemic racism, freedom from God. Please, beloved, bear with me. I believe that we are in a spiritual battle such as only comes around maybe once in a generation, if that. Yes, at its heart, this is a spiritual battle, but it's in the form of a political battle. In just under two months, the United States of America will make a decision. That decision will be between two very different forms of government. On one hand, we have a government that acknowledges God and the inalienable rights He has given to every person. On the other hand, there is a proposed government that rejected the idea of including God and its platform and would remove by legislation our God-given rights. In exchange, they promised the freebies I listed a minute ago. The Democrat Party has already demonstrated that they are for limiting free speech and freedom of religion. They deny life to the not yet born, and in doing so, they deny the notion that each person is fearfully and wonderfully made by God Himself. The riots and destruction we see in many of our cities is the evidence of what happens when groups of people deny the existence of God. This and more is what is in store for America if we choose this king. Beloved, I'm well aware that the government we have right now is far from perfect. It has its flaws. It's made up of people. But the way to fix it is not to utterly reject it for a system that has proven that it fails every time it's been tried, because yes, the Democrat Party has been taken over by socialists. And we must not fall for the lies that we're being told by the media. They are compromised. They're not reliable. America is a good country, despite its flaws. Still in all, America is worth saving. God was in the founding of this nation. God has blessed this nation and its people. And I believe that if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven, and He will forgive our sin, and He will heal our land. I do not believe that it is too late, beloved. I have hope for America. Let us not choose this new king. So, beloved, how well has this commentary aged in your opinion? Are we better off with this new king in my opinion, the more power you give to any king or president or prime minister or government in general, the fewer freedoms you'll have. Dennis Prager is a man I respect immensely. One of his teachings, if you want to call it a teaching, one of, one of his opinions is, the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. By the way, I'll have a link to an article he wrote with that title on the show notes page. I think that we're seeing the truth of this statement around the world right now, don't you? Now, contrast Dennis Prager's thought with the former governor of my state, California. No, screw your freedom. You may have heard that soundbite, but do you know what he said right after that? No, screw your freedom, because with freedom comes obligations and uh, and responsibilities. People who believe that government should restrict freedoms think that the average citizen or the average person is not grown up enough to handle obligations and responsibilities, I guess. So, is that working? Are we better off now that the governments of the world are resting more and more control over nearly every aspect of our lives? I'll let you decide for yourself. My opinion is that we are not better off. I still believe that we must do as God said in Second Chronicles 7.14— If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Beloved, all of us, no matter where in the world you live, must pray for people to turn back to God. We must look to Him. He is our only hope. There is no government, no politician of any stripe that can save us. America became great and, yes, an exceptional nation because it was founded on a devotion to God. John Winthrop was an early Puritan leader who served many terms as governor of Massachusetts. He wrote a sermon in 1630 while aboard the ship that would take him from his home in England to his new home in the New World, in which these ideas were beautifully expressed. I encourage you to read the entire sermon. I'll have a link on the show notes page but I would like to share a few paragraphs with you now. Here's what he wrote. We have hereupon besought God of favor and blessing. Now, if the Lord shall please to hear us and bring us in peace to the place we desire, then hath He ratified this covenant and sealed our commission, and will expect a strict performance of the articles contained in it. But if we shall neglect the observation of these articles, which are the ends which we have propounded, and dissembling with our God, Shall fall to embrace this present world and prosecute our carnal intentions, seeking great things for ourselves and our posterity, the Lord will surely break out in wrath against us, and be revenged of such a people, and make us know the price of the breach of such a covenant. Now, the only way to avoid this shipwreck and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. For this end, we must be knit together in this work as one man. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supply of others' necessities. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness, gentleness, patience, and liberality. We must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together always having before our eyes our commission and community in the work as members of the same body. So shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Lord will be our God, and delight to dwell among us as His own people, and will command a blessing upon us in all our ways, so that we shall see much more of His wisdom, power, goodness, and truth than formerly we have been acquainted with. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us, When ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies, when He shall make us a praise and glory that men shall say of succeeding plantations, May the Lord make it like that of New England. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause Him to withdraw His present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword through the world. We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God, and all professors for God's sake. We shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants, and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us, till we be consumed out of the good land whither we are going. And to shut this discourse with that exhortation of Moses, that faithful servant of the Lord, in his last farewell to Israel in Deuteronomy 30. Beloved, There is now set before us life and death, good and evil, in that we are commanded this day to love the Lord our God, and to love one another, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments and His ordinance and His laws, and the articles of our covenant with Him, that we may live and be multiplied, and that the Lord our God may bless us in the land whither we go to possess it. But if our hearts shall turn away, so that we will not obey, but shall be seduced, and worship other gods, our pleasure, and prophets, and serve them, it is propounded unto us this day, we shall surely perish out of the good land whither we pass over this vast sea to possess it. Therefore, let us choose life, that we and our seed may live, by obeying His voice and cleaving to Him, for He is our life and our prosperity. I welcome your comments on the show notes page, LifespringMedia.com slash S12 E85. Tomorrow, we'll read Psalms 36 through 38. It is time for Le Boost. Will you pray with me for a worldwide revival? I believe that we are in the end times, beloved, but God wants us to pray for the souls of people. That's true whether Jesus is returning today or in a thousand years. People need the Lord. If it's God's plan that Jesus not return for a thousand years, we need to do what we can to turn people to God for us and our posterity. I have four, soon-to-be-five grandchildren, and I want them to grow up in a world that honors God. I think you want the same thing. I've been praying this prayer for over a year now, and I'll not give up. James 5.16 says in part, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Pray with me, will you? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your active involvement in the affairs of this world. You're not a God who is aloof, who is not involved with Your creation. You care about us, and You've told us what we must do to have Your blessing, and we must admit that we're not doing those things. Much of the world has turned their backs on You. Lord, help us. Forgive us where we failed You, and help us to effectively communicate to the people we know what a wonderful and magnificent God You are and that a relationship with You through Your Son Jesus is the only way that we will have peace in this world, whether in the United States or any other place on the globe. The LifeSpring family members call many nations home, and their need of You is no different. Wherever we are, You have called us to share the good news of a risen Christ. Help us to do that, Lord. Embolden us. Speak through us. Help us to make a difference. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And today, beloved, I'm going to leave it at that. Until tomorrow, may God bless you richly. Thank you for sharing your time with me. I'm Steve Webb. Bye.